This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the TriDot Podcast. First off, I want to give an enormous shout out to TriDot coach Rich Sorez for hosting our show last week while I recovered from COVID. I got COVID for Christmas. It was a grand holiday time here in the Harley household as we all uh, caught that and recovered from that. Uh, Rich, of course, did a fantastic job on the show last week, as I knew that he would. Uh, He is a podcaster himself, after all, so I had high confidence in him. Uh, Be sure to check out his show, the 303 Endurance Podcast. He interviews people from the Boulder, Colorado, 303 uh, area code area. Uh, And and obviously, there's a lot of pros, a lot of great coaches, a lot of great people in Boulder. So uh, Rich has a fantastic show. Go hear more from him on his own podcast. But uh, thanks again one more time to Rich for hosting last week. I am happy to be healthy and ready to talk on the mic for an hour. So let's get it rolling. At this present moment in time, as we record and publish this episode, it is early in the year 2024, and we will be talking about the eight questions to ask yourself when setting your race schedule. We'll get race planning wisdom from two of our esteemed TriDoc coaches, and our first coach joining us for this conversation is Kurt Madden. Kurt is a pioneer of the sport and a 10-time Kona finisher. He has three top 10 finishes at the Ironman World Championships. He is a four-time North American age group champion and is a four-time number one world-ranked age group Ironman all-world athlete. And as if 140.6 miles is not enough, he is also a two-time Ultraman World Champion. And in 2019, he was inducted into the Ultraman World Championship Hall of Fame. In addition, he has a master's degree in exercise physiology and... He is the head of coach development for TriDot. Kurt Madden, welcome back to the show. Andrew, it is so awesome to be back. I want to give a shout out to all of our listeners. Happy 2024, and let's make this year better than ever. Also with us is TriDot coach Matt Summer. Matt is the fitness director at Alamance Country Club in Burlington, North Carolina, and he has been coaching with TriDot since 2018. He's a master's degree in exercise physiology and is a founding TriDot master coach. He's a certified TriDot coach, Ironman U coach, USA triathlon coach, and a USA cycling coach. He is also an accomplished athlete himself. He has been a USAT All-American every year since 2016 and will be racing his ninth consecutive Boston Marathon in April of this year. Uh, In his spare time, he also co-hosts the wonderful triathlon age group journey podcast matt thanks for joining us andrew it's always great to be here thanks for having me back on the pod and uh man it's been a while but um i love kicking off a new year nothing like kicking it off with you and kurt new goals new ambitions i love the smell of hard work and uh just ready to get this year going and hope it's the best for everyone out there yeah love the smell of hard work first thing in the year uh i am andrew the average triathlete voice of the people and captain of the middle of the pack as always, we'll roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our main set conversation, and then wind things down with the cool-down. Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it. Time, time, time to warm up. Let's get moving. When race morning comes around, there are several things that every triathlete should be doing. We should all eat breakfast. We should all double-check uh, our equipment in T1. And we should all make a visit at some point to the porta potty before we get racing. Uh, but I'm curious today, as our warm up question, what is something that you do on race morning that is unique to you? Not that other people can't do it, but it's just something that that you do that you don't think a whole lot of other people are doing. Uh, Kurt Madden, what is your answer here? You're you're already Andrew. You're stretching those synapses out of the gate, buddy. And, yeah. And I don't know this one. I'm gonna have to really think about unique to me. I don't know if I'm really unique. I think I'm I'm with the masses here. You know, a couple of things that I go through. The first thing is to really stay calm. I think that calmness 
internally is really, really key as you kind of set the stage. I think the next thing is just stay composed. You're going to have a little bit of an anxiety, but if you're composed, chances are you're going to get that starting line in good shape. I'm kind of old school. Uh, you know, I grew up back in the day and, and I like to get a song in my head. So I'll definitely put the, the headphones on and try to get a song that I'm going to remember all day long. Yeah. Hopefully it's a song that I'm going to enjoy to really get that, that rhythm going. And then also I know as I've gotten older, it's really about being grateful. It's being grateful that I have another opportunity to get out there with people that want to enjoy a great day of deliberate play. I get out there and learn and grow and just be so gracious. But internally, all listeners, I want to tell something right now. I've got so many butterflies in my tummy. And even I would think at this point in my career, I don't care if it's an A race, a B race or a C race. I'm just trying to get all those butterflies to fly straight. Yeah, Kurt, we'll just say this. We'll just say that you've raced so many times that you've streamlined the morning so much that there's nothing unique that you do. You just do the things that are essential to a good day at the races. So we'll just put it that way. Uh, Matt Summer, is there anything for you that, that that's unique to you that you do that uh, the masses may not be doing on race morning? You know, I'm going to echo exactly what Kurt said. It doesn't matter what kind of race it is, A, B, C race, whether it's just a run or whether it's a cycle or whether it's a try. I'm nervous. I got anxiety. So I just want to reassure everybody that that is normal. I always tell my athletes, you're nervous because you care, you know, and I think it's important to own those, uh, own those emotions, own that energy. Um, but you know, most of you know, I'm, I'm, I'm usually a man, I'm not usually a man of few words and usually pretty outspoken, but race morning, I'm quiet. I really yeah, like same. my silence. I really like my time. I'm not around talking to people. A lot of people are always shaking hands, catching up. I'm kind of in the zone. I'm getting my head right. Um, but, you know, one thing that I do, and I actually share this with my athletes that is pretty unique to me, is uh, with a Sharpie, not body marking now, I write the initials of my son, my father, and my girlfriend on my wrists. That way they are with me all day long. My why, my purpose, what really matters most at the end of the day is my family and my loved ones. And when the going gets tough, because it's going to get tough out there. Sure. If it doesn't, yeah. we're not working hard enough, but I can look down and I can remember my why, remember my purpose and remember what really matters. If the day's not going great, it's, it really gives me that extra drive. When I need that extra push, I can look down at those initials and it just kind of helps me find that third gear that I like to call. So yeah, I love it. This one real simple for me. Uh, first thing when I wake up in the morning on race morning, you know, walk out, start, uh, firing up the coffee pot and uh, while I'm waiting for that crucial first cup of coffee to be made, there is a meme on my phone that I've saved under favorites in my photo album. And it's, it's the number one top one right there. And I pull it up every single race morning, whether it's a sprint or an Ironman, doesn't matter. Uh, it just it makes me laugh. Uh, it kind of disarms the, the, the seriousness of my morning and, uh, and, and gets me fired up for the day. And it's a meme of Winnie the Pooh and Piglet the uh, fictional char cartoon characters. They're, I'm looking at it right now. They're, they're sitting on a log together. And if you know anything about Winnie the Pooh, it, it is a very lighthearted kids uh, 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 type of cartoon, right? It's not edgy in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but the, the, the text here, I'm going to read it, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of tweak a certain cuss word, and you'll know it when you hear it. But uh, what day is today, asks Pooh. It's the day we burn this mother effer to the ground, squealed Piglet. Ah, my favorite day, said Pooh. So it's capturing this fake conversation between these fake characters, and it's funny because it's, too, it's, it's something that these characters would never say in the actual cartoon. That's what makes the meme funny. I grew up on Winnie the Pooh. Uh, my, my grandparents in, our, in, in their house, whenever we visited grandma and grandpa, we watched Winnie the Pooh all the time. And so something about... These characters sitting on a log having a conversation about burning this mother effort to the ground just puts me in a racing mindset. It just it just gears me the right way. Uh, it gives me a lap. I drink my coffee and go go through my morning. So, uh, guys, we're going to throw this question out to you, our audience. I'm curious to hear, is there anything small or fun or different or unique to you that you do on race morning? So good answers here from our panel. And uh, make sure you're part of the I Am Trot Facebook group. We're going to throw this question out there uh, so we can hear what you do on race morning. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. 
Before we get too deep into the show today, I want to give a shout out to our good friends at UCAN. Here at TriDot, we are huge believers in using UCAN to fuel our training and racing. In the crowded field of nutrition companies, what separates UCAN from the pack is the science behind Live Steady, the key ingredient in UCAN products. While most energy powders are filled with sugar or stimulants that cause a spike and crash, UCAN energy powders, powered by Live Steady, deliver a steady release of complex carbs to give you stable blood sugar and provide long-lasting energy. I personally fuel my workouts with the orange-flavored edge gel and the unflavored UCAN energy powder. Between their energy mix, energy bars, almond butter, and more, there is definitely a Live Steady product that you will love. So head to their website, youcan.co, and use the code TRIDOT to save 20% on your entire order. Now that code used to be 10%, but the fine folks at UCAN have upped it to 20% for TRIDOT Nation. So once again, that's youcan.co, promo code TRIDOT. When a triathlete signs up for a race, the decision to do so usually came about in one of two ways. One, through meticulous research and planning, or number two, completely in the moment on a whim. Either way, you can have a great race day experience, but overall, the more care you put into planning your race season, the more care your race season should show back to you. So Matt, Kurt, let's start here today. When it comes time to set the race schedule for the year, for your athletes that you coach, that you work with, how much do you discuss this with your athletes versus them just kind of doing their own thing, picking races and letting you know what they are? Kurt? This is a, a key question right out of the gate. And I think I've learned over time that when you hear a statement from your athlete, I'm sure Matt can, can nod his head, uh, when the athlete says, coach, you'll never believe what I did. 99% of the time, <laughs> that means they have signed up for a race very spontaneously. Yeah. Like, wait a minute, we had this blueprint, we had a puzzle, yeah. it's almost done, and this one piece will not fit into Those it. Those pesky athletes. I know. And I think over the past couple of years, it, it doesn't happen, it hasn't happened quite as much, it's gotten a lot better. But ideally, when I look at this, Andrew, I think I'm programmed that I look at June, and I look at June mid-year to say, let's already start looking at the next year. And we start to forecast. We start to put those big rocks in. And ideally, we're going to put in those A races. I think that's really, really key. The second time of the year we do it is really right about now in December, January. Because what I do with all my athletes is I take them through an annual assessment. So we have multiple metrics that we look at. We're looking at everything. And then we're really talking about the next year. At that point, we should be good to go. But I have a lot of my athletes, and this really makes me feel good as their guide, as their teacher, that I've got some athletes that are already planned to 2026. For me, that is extremely beneficial because that long term, it's like an investment. It's like when they tell me, coach, I'm already planned to 2026. I have a general plan. I'm like, yes, that is really, really good. At the same time, though, Along the way, there are going to be opportunities. And what I mean by that is that something might come up where it just piques their curiosity. It might be a bucket event or a race. I've learned, too, to kind of build that in occasionally and do it in such a way that we can at least develop an eight-week cycle versus we're just stacking races on each other. So I think that works really well for me. It works really well for the athlete. But I tell them at the end of the day, it's your time, your money, and your resources, but let's make sure we are very strategic because it's just like any plan. When you do it right and do it well, that blueprint should be very solid with a little bit of revisions along the way. Yeah, already getting some great wisdom from from Kurt, just kind of hearing about what you do with your athletes and what those conversations are like. Uh, I, I can tell you, Kurt, I do not have my races planned out through 2026, so maybe uh, maybe it's something that, that you and I uh, need to have an extra extracurricular chat about. Uh, to help me out there. But uh, Matt Summer, what does this conversation look like uh, just between you and your athletes? Uh, I'll echo a lot of what Kurt said. It's very similar in mindset. Um, you know, the, the planning really does start in November, December, or whenever their off-season begins. It's You get a chance to sit down with the athlete, debrief the season that just occurred. What were the successes? What were the learning experiences? Did we achieve the goals that we set out to accomplish together? Um, you know, as Kurt mentioned, you know, he's along for the ride. I'm the co-pilot. 
I just help call coordinates and help guide them along the way, but they got to steer the ship. They got to steer the plane. They got to land it. They got to take it off. That's the analogy I like to use. But, um, you know, a lot of questions. I ask my athletes to come to me with some goal races that they have in mind um, kind of throughout the year. And then we sit down and we talk about them. You know, are we leveling up in distance? Are we looking to accomplish maybe our first full distance? Are we looking to compete in a local sprint Olympic series? Um, how much racing do we want to do? What can your body absorb? How much can you actually put out there and avoid burnout? Um, and a lot of things come into play, you know, family plans, work plans, um, you know, what does your job consist of? What does your family obligations and your children's schedules, how do they look? Are they conducive to training certain times of the years and not others? Um, I really like my athletes to be successful. So we like to pick races for most of them that are going to support their strengths and minimize their weaknesses. So look for courses that are really going to allow them to excel. I have other athletes on my team and that other athletes I've spoken with that, you know, taking them out of their comfort zone is key. So let's pick a race that is going to cause them to level up personally, physically, that's going to make them find that next gear and make them kind of be, develop a new uh, sense of athleticism. Um, and then again, as Kurt mentioned, you know, you got to look at budget. You got to look at how much money do we have? What are we looking at doing? The travel, um, you know, some athletes want to go out there and they want to, you know, really do well. I want my athletes to be in competitive races. I want them to be up against the best of the best to kind of, kind of compare themselves, benchmark themselves. But, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's planning, planning, planning. That's the most important thing. Yep. Great stuff, guys. So we're going to get into the heart of our eight questions to ask yourself when setting your race schedule. Now this list of eight, uh, myself and some members of the Tridot Creative team uh, came up with this list, and uh, I, I'm curious to hear from both of you guys your your thoughts on each of these items as we go through them. Uh, I, I don't think this is every question you should ask yourself. I do think there's 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 a couple others that are probably great questions to ask yourself. Matt, you just mentioned one right there. I do not have budget on my list of eight here. Uh, knowing your budget and asking yourself how much am I willing to spend on both registrations and travel uh, is an important thing to ask yourself. Uh, that that's not one that made our list of eight. So so I'm not pretending this is a thorough start to finish uh, list. There's definitely a couple other things, but th th this is going to cover a really good bulk of uh, of things you should think about when setting your race schedule. So let's get into it. Question number one to ask yourself when setting your race schedule: Is my body healthy enough to race? And if not, what needs to be addressed before I do start heading out to go to the races? Uh, Coach Matt, I know this one is near and dear to your heart. Talk to us about assessing are we healthy enough to support the races that we want to do. Yeah, I think most of you know I'm good for a good quote always, and I'm going to start this one with one of the quotes I always think about here. Um, yeah, hit us. If you don't schedule a rest day, your body will schedule one for you. And, um, you know, I, I, I tell my athletes that all the time, we got to embrace recovery with as much zeal and effort as we do our intervals and in our training. Um, a lot of people get caught up in the process of the training process and they're really, really good at training, but they're not good at racing. And I see that all the time. They're nailing their sessions. They're nailing the workouts. But come race day, they kind of fall apart. They don't execute. Um, you know, and, and that's a hard thing. So when it comes to this, is the body healthy enough? The first thing we got to look at is are they injury free? If they're not, we need to address that. Obviously, you can't go out there and toe the line if you're dealing with an injury or are setting yourself up for an injury. Um, another thing I always like to ask myself and ask the athletes, how have they been responding to the stimulus of the development season? You know, have they absorbed the training? We can only carry around so much residual fatigue before the body breaks. So if we're really coming into this race season and we're just loaded, 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 and we haven't allowed the body to kind of absorb all that training, because training is a stimulus. We have to put our body in a position to absorb it through nutrition, through rest and through all our recovery tactics. It doesn't matter how much we training we do if we don't let the body absorb it. Um, you know, and honestly, it comes down. To maybe we don't need to do that early season race. Maybe it would be better suited to skip it 
and just let the body heal up if we are dealing with a nagging injury or something's whispering at us it's better to listen to it now because the last thing you want to do is start the season out with an injury that's going to carry on for the rest of the season and restrict you from maybe achieving your athletic goals or hitting those benchmarks we're looking to accomplish yeah great feedback matt and i I actually did not have this question on the list and it was it was a late ad uh, because I personally, I, I started looking at like writing this show, uh, kind of prompted me to start looking at, oh, what, what races do I want to do this year? I don't want to go this year without knocking down one, two, three of the Texas races. So I will find myself on the starting line of something. Uh, but as I was looking at those early season races, yeah, I, I don't like, I think if I, if I tried to toe the line at a local sprint, th- there is a local sprint in April in Flower Mound, Texas, where I live. Literally, the swim is in the pool where I train. It's right down the road. I would love to go do it. But if I try to do a sprint in April, coming off of not training at all, like all, all last year, I'm, I'm probably going to hurt myself. So I, I, Matt, exactly what you're talking about. I'm, I'm getting the body healthy. I'm getting the wheels spinning again. And then I'll kind of look at uh, what, when, once I feel good. And once, once my body is showing, it's responding to that training of the development phase. Then I'll start looking at, okay, what, what races are around me in the back half of the year that I can I can get back into this wonderful sport of, uh, of triathlon. But great feedback there, Matt. Uh, Coach Kurt, is there anything else uh, that, that you would consider as we ask ourselves this question? Is our body healthy enough to do the racing we want to do? As we know that, that really health is well. When, when you have it, it is awesome. When you have COVID, when you have a setback, it's like, oh my goodness, I appreciate health even more. So really, I think with athletes, it's important to, even before you start the development phase, take stock at the end of the season, right when your season ends, like, let's be very objective from head to toe. Do a blood panel test. Get a physical from your doctor. Have a complete assessment that's very objective. If you know that you've got some kind of niggles or things that have been prolonged for weeks or months, I think it's very important to set a very conservative low bar. At the same time, if you can check all those boxes to say, guy, you know, objectively, we can look at this together, coach an athlete or maybe an athlete and spouse, hey, here's where I am right now. Let's be a little bit more ambitious, but I think you want to set yourself up for success. And the thing that we have learned in our sport is that if you have an issue with any type of health matter, the thing that I would propose is to be proactive. The more you kind of kick that can down the road, it tends to never get away. It's kind of like in a race, if you have to go to the bathroom, I think it's best that you stop and actually go to the bathroom and take (laughs) care of your business and then move on. It's not going to get any better. And just like with your health, because what will happen is if you start the season literally in a death spiral, it tends to make it very tough and very rocky. And then you're reacting to everything. It's hard to plan for an athlete. It's hard for a coach and an athlete to plan. When you're going from week to week, hoping and praying, we're going to duct tape it again. It's not even whispering. It's now barking all the time. And it's just everyone gets a little apprehensive. From the planning phase, from a coach, it's hard to plan the season for the athlete. They're very, very tentative. So let's be proactive. Make sure that you're setting a reasonable bar and always think long term because we've all learned if you miss one race for whatever reason, chances are there's going to be another race this year and another race the next year and another race the next year. Moving on to question number two, to ask yourself when setting your race schedule, what race or races matter the most to me this year? Kurt Madden, talk to us about uh, kind of assessing which races matter the most to us. Yeah, this kind of goes back to what Matt has already shared, but I want to reinforce it that when you're actually objectively looking at, you know, your races and which races matter most, I think it's very important to start off with try to identify if you can at least one or two A races. The ideal scenario is to put one in the first half and put one in the second half. However, if you don't have the time and the money and the resources due to family situations or things that might come up and might be work, set the bar, get the A race done first. I think that's really, really important. I'm a believer that if an athlete has strengths, just like Matt has said, I would select that A race where you're definitely going to have more success. If you've had struggles in a race, I wouldn't pick that as your A race because what will happen, I've learned this myself, it starts to get in your head. And then you have that self-doubt. Then you're not confident. And then you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? 
So set yourself up for success at the same time when you look maybe more long term. If you have a weakness that might be open water swimming, take get into the jacuzzi, literally. Build yourself up to say, now challenge yourself with a swim. Make sure that you're going to do that in open water where you're going to get stronger and better. So you want to work on that weakness over time. But I think it's really, really, really important to do that. Also think about, too, think about the family. I think as you're picking races, Andrew, you've talked about this quite a bit, and I do the same thing. As you're looking at maybe two to three to four to maybe five potential races, we, we, it's not about me, it's about we, where do you think we might want a vacation again? Uh, is it Texas? Is it New Zealand? Is it Canada? Is it Hawaii? Because when you get the win early in the planning process, it makes it very nice that this is going to be our family vacation. Everyone comes out looking really, really, really good. So take it from me. I've learned that. It is so important if you stay that course, you're probably going to be more successful in your race selection. Yep. Great insight there, Kurt. Matt, anything to add about identifying what races matter the most to me this year? Uh, a couple things that I do think about when it comes to what races matter the most is what, what is the purpose? What is the goal of our season? Um, are we looking for a world champ qualifier? Are we looking for a Boston Marathon qualifier? Um, I call them local legend races. Are there is there a local race that's like a super competitive race that you want to be the local legend that yeah. won this you know local triathlon in your hometown to be the best triathlete around? Um, I think that kind of helps you decide what races am I going to do. I mean, if you're looking at a world uh, world championship qualifier, there's strategy to that. Don't just pick a random race. Pick one that supports your strengths and weaknesses. Look at the timing of the year. Look at the qualification window. Look at it relative. Is it late in the season when everybody's already qualified so the chance of a roll down might be greater? Look at the races right after the world championship because by chance, a lot of the competition just raced. They're not going to race the next week or the week after that or the week after that. Leverage strategy. Think about those things. That's where a coach can come in hand in these planning. Um, also, I love what I call a benchmark race. It might have been your first triathlon you ever did. You go back every year and do it. It's just kind of like a, a, it's, a, it's a calling every year. It really lets you see the growth in the sport on an annual basis when you can go back to that same course year after year after year and just kind of see the growth, the maturity, and the fitness that you've developed and gained from day one. And I love those benchmark races. I love those local legend races. They're fun. That's your local community. But um, yeah, I think those are all important things when you're thinking about what race you want to do. Yeah, re re really great. There's a ton of reasons why a, a race can be the one that matters a lot to you. And, and that really good way of highlighting that there, Matt. Uh, moving us on to question number three, to ask ourselves when setting our race schedule, how many times do I want to go long, go short, or go middle distance. Uh, Coach Kurt, talk to us about this one. Talk to us about thinking through how often uh, our bodies can take us long, medium, and short at the race. I think, it, as we often say, it really kind of depends upon the athlete. But from a planning purpose, I'm going to start with time. And I think it's real important for each athlete to be very objective. Get out a calendar for the entire year. Don't do it in isolation. Have your Sherpa, your companion, have your team right there so you're planning it at home. If it's with your coach, you're going to do the exact same thing. The ideal situation, again, depending upon the athlete, is to say, with the time I have, how great would it be to do maybe a sprint or Olympic, do a 70.3. The long, I want to caution, and you might be surprised because I know I'm known to do a few long course races a year. In fact, more than two. However, I think that goes into you know, your body. You've got to see your tolerance for doing high volume work. For many people, it just does not work out. It's not, it's not in the cards because of their body type, the recovery. And I think some people, and I want to be really honest when I say this, if you never do a full Ironman in my book, in our tried out family, you're still number one. Absolutely. You can do sprints all the time or Olympic distance. Absolutely. And I think it's a huge, huge commitment. So let's start with time. The next piece, very realistically, as we've talked about it, let's lay the whole budget out. Let's put all the cards on the table. I've had an athlete tell me, coach, I finally figured out how much money I spent last year. And I'm probably not going to tell my wife. I said, hallelujah. I keep my spreadsheet right here. <laughs> 
And I know it's probably more, but I'm investing in health. But you've got to set a realistic bar because we know that, especially if you go to a long course race or an Ironman distance race, you have the entry fee, you have the travel, you've got three nights lodging, you should probably take your spouse or your companion versus if it's a real quick one, I can get up there quick and I can get back, I can save a few dollars, I'll sleep on the couch, and that's all good. So look at your budget because I can tell you honestly, you don't want to get into a financial hole because it doesn't go away. Because all of a sudden you're looking at this, go, wait a minute, I just saw this, this shiny new bike that I really want. Oh, wait a minute, I can't have both. So look at your budget. And then again, actually look at all your resources. You've got to look at everything that you're trying to do from being a good mom or dad or spouse and commitments and everything. So if I balance your time, your budget, and your resource, I think that would be something that each athlete should assess with their coach. That is really, really you know, important to do. But the ideal scenario is to go short, medium, and then possibly long. Yeah. And, and there's definitely personality types and body types, like you said, that are better at doing certain things. And I, I personally, I like the variety. You know, I, I like going short, medium, and long-ish uh, every single year if I can. Uh, and I say long-ish is like half Ironman. And yeah, th- th- there's people that all they do is sprints and Olympics. And that, that's great. There's people that all they do is Ironman. They'll, they'll, they'll do two, three, or four of those a year. And that's great for them. Not for me. Uh, but yeah, great feedback there, Kurt. Uh, Matt, anything to add here on uh, how to mix up our short, medium, and long uh, throughout the season? Another big thing, and I can't stress this one enough, and Kurt mentioned this, is recovery, recovery, recovery. Um, you cannot get fruit from the tree year-round. I can't stress that enough. Everybody recovers differently. For me, when I work with my athletes, we pay very close attention to how they recover from their weekend training rides, from their race rehearsals. How does their body absorb the training stress and how long does it take for them to kind of recover? Those are things that we talk about on a regular basis. I mean, if you have a two and a half hour bike ride on the weekend followed by a 20 minute run and then the next day you have a threshold repeat, your legs might be a little tired on Monday. You know, everybody absorbs training differently and we got to listen to that. And again, if we're not recovering from training sessions, racing is going to be a little bit harder. So going week to week to week, doing a sprint one week, maybe two weeks later an Olympic, we can't do it. Something's going to break. And at the same time, you're not going to be at peak fitness. That's the other thing we got to consider. Racing is not just getting out there and finishing. If racing to you is performance-based and peaking and coming out there with all guns firing, you got to put yourself in that position for success. And that involves training peaks and training lows to allow the body to absorb so we can put that fitness out there to the best of our ability and play that best hand on race day. Question number four to ask yourself when setting your race schedule, are there any times during the year where I shouldn't race? And a few principles here I think have already been touched on uh, in some previous questions, but let, let's let's see what we need to revisit here. Uh, Kurt, I'll send this one over to you first. Uh, when an athlete's looking at uh, their life, they're looking at the family schedule uh, and trying to identify, are there times of year where I shouldn't race? What, what, what are we looking for here? Yeah, th- this is a reality. We need to have this honest conversation. There are times when you shouldn't race And I know that we get the momentum and literally we can race year round if we have the time, money and the resources. So a couple things I'm going to I'm going to kind of go back to what Matt has said. I'm going to give you a few different scenarios. And again, for the athlete and for other coaches that are listening, I think when you when you start the year, if you're picking a race that might be, say, an Oceanside. I live in San Diego. I am 30 minutes from Oceanside. I know every single year that water is 60 degrees. If you're not a good open water swimmer that does not love waves and you don't like 60 degree water temperature in the ocean, then you shouldn't race that race. If you haven't got your reps in, that's a very poor choice. At the same time, we've got Ironman Texas. If I've got an athlete who lives in a very cold environment and they're on a trainer all the time and they're not out in the heat, even though they're trying to simulate it, I can tell you, honestly, they're going to have a little bit more challenge when they start that race as compared to someone that lives in Texas in a very warm environment. You can try to simulate it, but I can tell you, honestly, that riding on a trainer for five hours is a lot different than being outside 
with the heat and the wind and everything else. So that's kind of on the front end of the season. The other thing that I've seen through the years, and I see it again and again and again, is that you've got to kind of look at what's going on in August, September, and October. And that 90-day window, I'm not saying you shouldn't race, but in your planning, pull back a little bit. Because I find that when you actually get to that time of the year in September, October, I find that probably 70% of athletes have some type of niggle or some type of injury. Wow. The other thing, too, is it's really sad to get to a world championship when you're hearing people say this, all I want to do is finish this race. I am done. Now, they're saying that before they start versus, oh, my goodness, I'm not saying that you shouldn't race that time of the year, but just plan that out a little bit more. So keep that in mind. That's a key time of the year. The other thing, too, at the end of the year, Matt touched on it, and I've learned from experience, and I see this all the time. If you're doing a full Ironman late in the year, it is very important to give yourself a big gap before you jump into a, another race. Now, if it's an Olympic, it's an C race, that's not a big deal. But if you try to come off a big A race that's Ironman distance and then go into a 70.3, chances are you're not going to bounce back. Some people... They can recover at the end of the year, I would say, ideally in five or six weeks. But I know one person that did St. George, and Andrew, you were there. That was a really tough day. Yep. It took him over three months. It took him over three months. We were both like, what in the heck happened? He's like, Coach, I am not recovered. And it just wiped out most of his season. So be real careful after those, those full Ironman distance races not to jump back into the fire too quickly. Uh, Matt, when you talk to your athletes about, about identifying times of the year where maybe they shouldn't do certain races, uh, anything we haven't covered yet that, that you talk about with your athletes? Not really. I think you guys really hit the nail on the head. I mean, this is a huge one I talk to my athletes about are your job demands. I mean, if you're a tax accountant and it's tax season, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're going to have a hard time getting the training in. Don't set yourself up for failure by doing a super early race in the spring when you're trying to, it's crunch time and you're still working up into April for tax day. Um, you know, teachers, same thing. Kurt mentioned that already. You know, we got to be sensitive to your schedule. Um, you know, and then the one that gets overlooked all too often, I tell people, I'm like, man, you got to pay attention to this is your kid's schedules, your kid's athletic schedules. You know, if your kid plays travel soccer, travel volleyball, or any type of travel sports, or if you're balancing more than one child, do yourself a favor and talk to your spouse. Try to get an understanding of what that schedule looks like because a lot of these games, they're on the weekends. It could be on Saturday morning. You don't want to miss that. I mean, I don't care how great that finish line feeling is. You will look back and you will regret missing those games, missing those practices and not being a big part of your kid's childhood. You can't replace that. And I make sure that when I talk with my athletes weekly and we prioritize sessions for the week, you can ask all of them. One of the first questions I ask is, what family commitments do you have this week that we need to work around? Because that is at the forefront of my coaching is we don't skip family time. We will work around that because this is something that's meant to be secondary. You know, so that that's close and personal to me. Um, but then also, again, you don't want to burn out. I think that's the biggest thing is I've had some athletes that are like, yeah, I want to race in April. And then I'm going to go do Clash Daytona in December. And I'm like, hold on. Time out. Like all of a sudden we're going from April to December and you're trying to stay at peak fitness the whole time. And, um, you know, that, that's a tough one. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I stress to them that we got to have that downtime then in the middle of the summer. If you're going to do that, we got to have a little bit of a lull so that we can then peak again. You can't maintain peak fitness all year long. It's not going to happen. You'll set yourself up for an injury. Um, it's going to be one of the itises. It happens. Overuse injury. You know, we all develop them, and I see it happens to athletes all the time that try to ride that fitness wave of all that fitness they developed over the preseason. They try to ride it all year long, like Kurt, you and your surfing. They try to ride it and just have that perfect wave. You're going to crash. You're going to burn. And it's, it's, not, it's not fun to help pick those pieces up when you have a great athlete that's talented, that's committed, that's disciplined, that's full of heart to help pick them up and kind of help them rebuild. That's tough. Question number five to ask yourself when setting your race schedule, what will my desired races do to my training calendar? Every time you add a race to your schedule on TriDot, uh, it starts optimizing your schedule for those races. So there's training implications to everything you put on the calendar. Uh, Matt Summer, talk to us about this. 
Yeah, this is a great question, you know, and this is one that a lot of athletes, um, you know, struggle with. And so I, I do ask my athletes when we uh, kind of collaborate together and we decide what the race schedule is going to look like. I like to enter them in for my athletes. For me, it's a little bit more of a control thing. I do struggle with that. I'll be honest. Um, and it just, it allows me self-awareness, Matt. Yes, is, uh, absolutely. A, a great trait. I own it, but, um, you know, we just want to make sure that the races get it entered correctly. I mean, if you put an a race as a 70.3 on in June, and then let's say you got a full distance race and you, it tried out allows you to put it in as an a race and it's in August, we got to make sure that we're keeping our eyes on the big prize that's coming in August. So we got to make sure that that, because we can put that, that, um, that 70.3 on as a C race. And then together we can make sure that we build into it appropriately. We're still looking forward to that full that's coming up later. Uh, and we can taper and recover together out of that 70.3 by calling it a C race. We're not downgrading the importance of it. We're just keeping our eyes on that. The build is going appropriately towards the full and not getting over overlooked. Um, you know, putting a lot of races on, they can pull you out of the development phase. Um, and that's going to be the biggest thing is what strengths are we looking to gain? What is the purpose of that development phase? Where are we trying to get the engine? You know, what do we want to accomplish with your run FTP, your bike FTP, your swim assessments? Um, you know, those help us benchmark so we can get pacing. Um, too many races, you never truly peak. We don't ever get peak fitness if we're constantly up and down and up and down because we aren't allowing the training to do its job. Recovery, that's another big thing. You know, where do we need to put that recovery in? How long after a full distance? How long after a 70.3, an Olympic, a sprint? And that's unique to each athlete. There's not a cookie cutter template to that. I think Kurt will attest to that as well. Every athlete's going to be different when it comes to what they need to recover in between. Um, and again, I already mentioned this quote. It's a, it's a great one, but we can't get fruit from the tree year round. You got to allow the body to have growing seasons, harvest seasons, and planting seasons. Yep. Oh, fantastic insight from coach Matt on, uh, just, just thinking through, you know, what will adding a race do to your, uh, training calendar, uh, coach Kurt, anything to add here? Up to now, Andrew, this has been, this is the best question. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you. This is something that should be posed somewhere in someone's house or framed or put somewhere that you're looking at this all the time and ask the question, what will my desired races do to my training calendar? And I, if I had three words, they're real simple. Implications, implications, and yeah. implications. And, and that's something where you really need to start because I think what I've seen is you've got to kind of go back to your A race if you're doing a 70.3 or a full Ironman. Look at your race rehearsals. Do the backward mapping, knowing that that's about a five-week commitment right there. By adding more races or stacking more races somewhere around that period, it's kind of like we're taking a step forward, we're taking a step back, we're going to go to the right, you're going to go to the left. So the athlete will have to make adjustments and or the coach is going to have to make an adjustment but it really 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 is it becomes super super disruptive i think a thing that every tri daughter can look at regardless of what level you're on or what platform you're on as far as your subscription goes look at the weekly training stress and be very objective and look at those graphs and look at your normalized training stress if you see that you're constantly doing way too much training you need to pull back a little bit and say, if that was desired, let's let it drop off. I've had athletes approach me like, okay, I want to do a 70.3. I say, fantastic. We have two race rehearsals, but coach, I want to do three half marathons because I'll get better if I do three half marathons and the race rehearsals and then the race. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, the candle will not, the candle will not be burning bright when we get to yeah. the A race. We're down to nothing. So let's kind of hold off on that, maybe do one so it's quality over quantity. The other thing I've learned too is travel. If a person is traveling quite a bit for work and or vacation and or racing, many times travel takes a lot out of you, especially when you're on the road out at the time. It affects your sleep, your diet, your recovery. So those are things you might want to consider too. Yep, great, great stuff. Uh, I am going to kind of have a skip over question number six to ask yourself. I'm going to say it, but uh, Kurt, Kurt already really touched on this one a little bit earlier in a previous question. But question number six to ask yourself when setting your race schedule 
is what will the weather conditions be like for my race prep phases? And and Kurt already talked about that a, a little bit. I think Matt, you touched on it a little bit as well. But yeah, if, if you're booking a certain race and you know, okay, uh, or if you're looking at a certain race and it's the X time of year with X weather locations and where you're training is very different from those weather conditions, uh, all those things have to be considered. You have to ask yourself uh, how you're going to pull that training off. Are you going to be able to go into that race as prepared as you would like to be? Uh, Kirk gave the example earlier of Oceanside and Ironman Texas in the spring. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that is a question to ask yourself is based on where I live, based on my current weather, based on when I will be prepping for this race, is this a smart race for me to put on the calendar? Uh, I'm going to skip over having you guys comment on that one because you already have touched on it. And I'm going to move us on to question number seven to ask yourself when setting your race schedule. Do I want or need any tune-up events for my A races? Uh, and we talked earlier about how to identify which races are your A races. Uh, and Kurt, you kind of started to talk about this just a moment ago. Uh, how do we identify if we need any tune-up events uh, for those important races on the calendar? Yeah, I'll go ahead and add just a little bit more. We talked about you know the A race, if it's 70.3 or even if it's an Olympic or even a full, that you definitely build in those race rehearsals. I think that's really, really, really important. At the same time, I've learned through trial and error, mostly from error, especially with athletes and myself, sometimes a rehearsal is a rehearsal. I think you'll learn a little bit more when you're in the arena and the bullets are flying left and right that you've got to actually go out and do the race, especially with two things. The two things I think that a coach can take away from with the athlete and or if the athlete's coaching themselves is really be objective about your pacing really get that dialed in. Was my pacing even in the swim? Where was my ceiling on my wattage on the bike? Did I hold back on the run? If you did that, give yourself a pat on the back. That is really, really key in a race-like condition, not a race rehearsal. The second thing is your nutrition. We haven't really touched on nutrition very much, but I've learned that you've got to go over it again and again and again. I've learned that if you're going to do maybe just one Ironman race the whole year, I've found those athletes are not very successful, especially with your nutrition, because depending upon where the race is, depending upon the environment, the environmental conditions, your nutrition has to be tweaked. If I'm racing in Lake Placid, that's a lot different than Texas. That's a lot different than Kona. And that might be a lot different if I race maybe in, in Nice, France. So I think that nutrition is really going to play into that as you're looking up your tune-up races to practice your nutrition. And if you're a person that cannot or it doesn't agree with you, the things that are on the course that are going to work for you, you really want to get that dialed in because I think the biggest compliment for an athlete coaching themselves or for an athlete that is being coached is when they can say, my nutrition was spot on. Sure. That just brings me joy and brings me happiness. It's like, <laughs> okay, then don't change it. We are in a really good spot. We'll, we'll tweak it a little bit depending upon your nutrition. But you, when you get that down, it's such a nice feeling like I have no GI issues. That the bathroom wasn't my best friend. It was like really cool to finish strong. So that's what that's what I would add. Yeah, no, and, and great feedback there. And and definitely the the longer workouts and the race rehearsals can help you dial that nutrition in as well. But there is no day like race day for those kind of items. Anything to add here, Matt, on uh, what you talk to your athletes about in terms of scheduling tune up races for the Ray races? A couple things to add there. Um, you know, I always ask my athletes why. Like when they come to me and it's not a kind of antagonistic why it's like, Hey, what are you looking to gain from it? And, um, you know, really from a coaching side, like trying to get them to explain to me their purpose behind the desire to do it. Um, and it's kind of unique to every athlete. I think for some, you know, they're expressing, it's not the physical confidence. They're looking for the mental confidence. And I think that's a big side of that. We need to take into consideration. Um, we have two race rehearsals. Uh, my personal philosophy on the first race rehearsal is it's all about physical confidence. We're developing the physical confidence that I can do these distances and I can execute and I'm physically prepared for race day. To me, the second race rehearsal is about dotting the I, crossing the T, and reassuring ourselves that we're mentally ready 
for the race day. Um, I can't stress enough, like what Kurt said, is that we every training session, every opportunity we go out there, we're practicing nutrition, we're practicing hydration, we're practicing electrolyte utilization, we're practicing race day apparel. Those are the big four. I call them the controllables. Those that coach with me know I refer to those all the time. Electrolytes, hydration, nutrition, apparel. We get those dialed in in every training session so that come race day, you just go with it. It's already a routine that we've established and we know it works and we dial them in weekly. Um, Some athletes come to me and are like, hey coach, I want to get out there. I really want to go do this 70.3. I throw out the aqua bike option. Are you disciplined enough? If not, we're going to do an aqua bike because we can go full tilt on the swim. We can go full tilt on the bike. But that run is what's going to really cause us to have to be mindful the next week about recovery. Yeah, it's a great and, point. And okay, you're disciplined enough. You'll run the run. You'll go zone two on the run. And I look at them in the eye and I can see that they're like, oh, coach. <laughs> and um, I have very few that have been like, yes, coach, I will go zone two on the run. Because you come off the bike and you're in third position. All of a sudden that podium's calling your name and you know position two is right there. And I've got a zone two run and they just have a hard time. So I'm like, listen, if you're not disciplined enough, do the aqua bike and then we can get back to normal training on Sunday and you can get your normal run in. It's a win-win physical, mental confidence are, 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 are accommodated and we can maintain the integrity of our training cycle. Yeah. I, I think for me, when I, as an athlete, am interested in a tune-up event, it's either one, because I haven't raced in a long time. And so I just want to knock the rust off and get out there or two, it's, I have a race coming up that is intimidating to me in some way. And, and, and so if that's a, if, because it's a full distance Ironman, or if that's because it's something wild, like escape from Alcatraz, like, like I, I'm not going to do anything leading up to it. That's remotely the same distance, but I do want to do a race, you know, somewhere relatively before that one, j- just to like get some nerves out that, Hey, I've done this recently before I go into that uh, intimidating race. So that, that's what it is for me when I want to do one. You did bring up another another great point there, the rust buster mindset. I have a lot of athletes early season, and I'm, I'm a fan of those personally myself too. It's a great opportunity to get out there, remind yourself what transitions are like, T1 and T2. I mean, we lose it. It's a routine. It's a habit. The more we do it, so getting those, we can practice them all we want. It's great when it's in your garage. It's great when it's in the driveway or it's in your living room and you, you know, taking the shoes off and putting these on, but it's another thing when it's full tilt. So getting out there and remembering what works, what doesn't, what did I forget? What do I need to remember? So I do like that mindset of really working through those transitions in, you know, real space. Question number eight to ask yourself when setting your race schedule. Last one we're going to talk about here today. Do I want any non-triathlon events or athletic endeavors on my schedule? Am I interested in a marathon? Am I interested in a a bike-only event? Am I interested in uh, a Spartan race? Am I interested in uh, hiking for a week in the mountains? Whatever it may be. Uh, considering those things is going to come into play when it comes to setting your triathlon schedule. Uh, Coach Kurt, talk to us about this. Yes, that is the answer. I think life is short. Love it. And yeah. it's important to swim, bike, and run. At the same time, it's so nice to be able to pick some that's maybe not in the triathlon arena. I've learned myself, and I've learned working with numerous athletes, the best time to do it, my recommendation, do it before the season actually starts or literally at the end. The worst time is somewhere in the middle because I've learned that if you're all of a sudden like, hey, I'm going to do this mountain bike race. I'm going to do it in July or August. You know, as if you're coaching yourself, you want to ask yourself, okay, when's the last time I was on a mountain bike? (laughs) goes back to what Matt said. Why am I why am I doing this? Am I going to get killed? If you're a coach, you're talking them off the cliff right away. Like, no, this is a disaster. (laughs) I can smell it. I can taste it. I can touch it. Not a good choice. If we're going to if we're going to do a death spiral. Do it at the end of the year because all your races are done or do it at the beginning of the year. I had an athlete recently that went on a you know, great vacation, but all of a sudden got involved in a few different activities that he probably shouldn't have. And now he can't swim for about six to seven weeks. Wow. Um, we're going to be OK, though. We're going to be OK. And we've learned in our contract, we have to be very careful. Those two activities, I don't care who's, <laughs> who 
you know, how many adult beverages you've had, you're not doing it because coach said, and I am going to get in your grill a little bit to let you know that's just, that shouldn't take place. But I know years ago I did a mud run with my, my two boys and it was so important, but I did it at the start of the year. And to this day, they tell the story, but the story changes every time they, they, they tell it. I'm yeah, like, it no, that's not true. Dad <laughs> did not do that. Dad did not do that. So don't even say that in front of mom. You're exaggerating. They'll just kind of embellish it. And I'm like, no, that didn't happen. But that bonding experience or, hey, we're going to go do something fun with five people. To me, with your even if it's an athlete or family or neighbor, that is so, so important because you're building relationships. You're building fond memories of like, hey, it's a real bar. We're just going to go out and have fun. We're not going to be on the podium for this one, but we want to finish it together. And I've learned in life when you look back, it's like I actually like that event more than some other races where I was super competitive trying to trying to get a PR or something. So, yeah, go out there and play and have fun. Matt Summer, same question over to you. How do these type of events interact with our triathlon scheduling? Just say yes. It feels so good to say yes. I mean, I can't stress that enough. <laughs> um, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's not just a marathon. It's not half marathons. It's not let's go do a 10K. I mean, let's be honest. Triathletes were sagittal plane beasts. We got to get out of that sagittal plane forward, backwards, forward, backwards. That's all we do. Overuse. Get out there and have fun. Go play pickleball. I mean, go snowshoeing. Go cross-country skiing. I mean, try different things. Go to the batting cage with your son or daughter that plays football, that plays baseball or softball. Get out there and, you know, try some volleyball. Just do different stuff. Go disc golfing. You know, just do whatever it is that you miss doing. Whatever your spouse is into, your kids are into enjoy it. I'm a big fan also. And I know Kurt mentioned maybe not during the season. I will tell my athletes like, listen, Hey, it's a zone two bike. I don't care if you go do gravel. I don't care if you go on the mountain bike, it's heart rate based. Get out there, get on the different bike, have fun, you know? Okay. It's, um, you know, it's a zone two run, go trail run, but be mindful of the roots, be mindful of the descents. You know, you got to be an advocate of yourself, but it's okay to change those up and get out on the gravel, get out on the trails, you know, uh, go for a hike instead of a zone two run, get the heart rate where it needs to be. We can still be purposeful and change things up and have a lot of fun. Um, but it just feels good to say, yes, variety is the spice of life. You may find something else that you enjoy as well and, um, gets you in different circles too. gets you out in different social circles by just saying yes. Last question I want to ask today before we shut this episode down uh, from y'all's expert coaching, uh, perspective, is, is there, are there, is there anything we missed here? Is there anything important that was not on this list that you talk to your athletes about as they're setting their own schedules? I want to hear from Kurt, then we'll hear from Matt, and we'll call today. Coach Kurt. Yes. Number one, play the long game. Sit down, play the long game, look out three to five years. From there, start looking at your bucket list to say, no, this would bring me joy. This is the one thing that I would want to do if my life ended shortly after. And I think identifying bucket lists, because all of us are going to reach a point where we're going to have to encounter one word. It's called regrets. What do I regret most? I regret that I didn't do something that would bring me joy and get on that bucket list. I think that is so, so important because when you can't do it anymore, that's when you're like, oh my gosh, it was right in front of me. The other thing too, and I've touched on it, but I think it's important. Most of your races try to go back to where you've had success. So as a coach, as a teacher, as a guide, I guide them back to to let them know, hey, I, I know you want to do those things, but your chances are you're going to be very successful in those types of events. So those are the other things that I consider. Um, but again, it's something that I think this is an ongoing conversation with athletes. And even athletes, have those conversations with yourself. Have those conversations with people in your home. And I think that they're going to appreciate that. Matt Summer, anything that we missed? The biggest thing I always advise my athletes all, and, and this is in life, this is in training, this isn't anything. you got to be flexible. Life is going to happen. You cannot change the cards you're dealt. You can just change the way you play them. And we got to be ready to pivot. We got to be ready to call an audible at all points during the training session, any training season, during racing, during everything. Um, Expect the unexpected. Adversity will show up. It's not a question of if, it's when. And how do you address it is going to dictate your success. Those are all things I like to work through with my athletes of that way we're prepared on race day. When adversity shows up, you look at your wrists like I like to do, get a little bit more strength, 
game on and you grab life by the horns and you just you go with it. And that's what this is all about. But life happens. You're going to have sick children. You're going to have job changes. You're going to have maybe relationship issues. You're going to have environmental issues. It's going to rain on race day. It's going to be windy on race day. You got to be ready to pivot and be flexible. I always stress to my athletes, we should, we, we do this for fun and for passion and as a hobby. Training and racing should be a source of stress release, not a source of stress. When I can tell that the workouts are becoming a source of stress or a weighing on my athlete, we take a time out, we talk about it, and we try to reset that mindset. Love that. We got, we got to have the mindset of we do this for fun, we do this for pleasure, we do this for fitness. Nobody's holding a gun to your head. Nobody's making you do it. A matter of fact, we're paying $850 to go do it <laughs> and we're buying expensive bikes and we're taking time and energy, our two most precious commodities away from our family. You better love what you do. That's the biggest thing I say. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. It's cool down time. And I'm Vanessa, your average triathlete with elite level enthusiasm. I'm excited to have Jared Kaminsky joining me today from Cameron, North Carolina, where he teaches advanced placement environmental science at a high school, and he is also a USA swim coach and coaches with the TAC Titans in Cary, North Carolina. Jared started training and racing triathlon in 2019 and has since become a multiple Ironman finisher. He is an all-world athlete for 2023 and a 2023 USAT age group national qualifier. He began coaching with TriDot over a year ago and specializes in athletes who are beginner and intermediate as well as anyone who wants to improve their swim. One thing that most people don't know about Jared is that he has eaten both guinea pig and alpaca, and he claims that alpaca is better. So welcome to the show, Jared, and I think we need to start off with how you ended up these two kinds of animals on your plate. Uh, thank you, Vanessa. Um, so it was about 12 years ago we ended up doing a college field school for archaeology in peru for about six weeks and those are two staples of the peruvian diet um alpaca is more you find it more in the cities and bigger towns and things like that and guinea pig is found out in the country and so most restaurants have both and it's like tradition for people new to the country to go ahead and give it a shot alpaca comes more in like a burger form and guinea pig comes mostly kind of like rabbit and squirrel and so they've still got the claws on it and everything else um it's a little gamey it's a little thin but alpaca is pretty good it's just like a regular burger here in the united states that's awesome um and here we are. I'm excited to talk to you today, not only because I think you love triathlon as much as I do, but because you're a teacher and I was a teacher. So I think we get each other on a totally different level. Um, and it seems like we both love to travel. So yeah, I love the travel. Teaching is is super fun. I've been to, I think, nine countries now. And so I've been bitten by the travel bug and try to go someplace every couple of years. Well, I think you're going to deliver an amazing tip for us today. So let's hear it. What do you think is important for our athletes to know? I think one of the most important things coming from a swimming background, having done that for so many years, coaching and competitively, is to add kicking in some form or fashion into your workouts. Um, kicking is the motor for swimming. Um, it's a little different than some other sports where the better kicker you are, the more efficient you are, the faster you're going to go in the pool. Uh, not only that, it actually can help with your body position. And so the entire thing with swimming is to reduce what we call frontal drag forces with water pushing on you. And so if we don't kick more often than not, the lower part of your body from about your belly button down begins to sink. And as that sinks, you're adding more drag, which is going to cause you to swim slower. And so kicking elevates the hips, elevates the legs and the feet. So they end up in line behind the head and you reduce the drag forces and it's easier. Um, it also can help save the, save the shoulders and just make you a more efficient swimmer. We don't need you to become a world-class kicker. We don't need you to become a sprinter with kicking. We just need a kick that is efficient that falls in line with your cadence and your stroke so that we're able to help move ourselves through the water. Okay. There was like 
so many things to unpack in that statement that you just said. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We could talk like, for hours whoo. about the kick, I think. <laughs> oh, we could. It's it's one of the things that we can spend two hours in the pool with year-round swimmers working on. Um, it's not something that we need to do really for triathlon, uh, spend that much time on it, but it's just something that we need to be comfortable with so that when we're in a race, or we are trying to move faster around somebody, we can trust our legs to move us and we don't have to worry about cramping or not being able to engage those muscles as we move through the water. Yeah. Okay. So what kind of kicking are you getting your athletes to do? And at what point in the workout would you suggest doing them? The majority of it is uh, what we call flutter kick um, for freestyle and backstroke. The majority of my athletes, I have them work it into warm up, whether it's 100 to 200, based upon how comfortable they are. Um, obviously, if we're new to it, it's going to be a little slow. It's going to be a little daunting. It's going to be a little hard. And so we just start easy. The other thing that I'll have them do is anything in their workout that gets labeled choice, mm -hmm. we turn into kicking. Um, it doesn't matter if you use a board. It doesn't matter if you go on your back. You can use a snorkel and kick on your stomach. Um, all three will be beneficial. If you want the most bang for your buck out of it every single lap, the best way to do it is grab a swim snorkel, put it on, arms at your side, head in a just nice, easy, neutral position, and just mm -hmm. kick down the pool. Can you give a few pointers so that an athlete can know if they're practicing it correctly? Yeah, we should have a little bit of what we call white water behind you. So your feet should make just like a ripple of white water. We don't mm -hmm. want the feet coming too high out of the water. Your hips should be at the surface. And so the way to do that is we call lifting from your belly button. So belly button into your spine. And then make just the last thing is we're kicking from our hips. We don't want to have the bicycle legs going on. And so just a nice, easy kick from the hips. And if you're sitting on top of the water, then we're in the right spot. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great Tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.